Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Today's reading is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 31. And it's on page 3 of your church Bibles, uh, which is the very first page. And God said... Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to their kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has a breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. I do feel when uh, we're approaching these chapters, chapter uh, one, and uh, there's different uh, verses that we are really on holy ground. And... um, precious, precious verses as they sort of establish and set out the kind of fundamental principles of who we are. And uh, we're going to dig in to this whole question of, um, of who we are in, in, in a bit more detail in a few minutes. But before we do so, just uh, would you join me uh, for a word of prayer? Father, we thank you very much that we thank you for your word, that it's through your word that we can come to know you and we thank you that as we meditate and reflect upon you and your truth, that we all also come to see who we are. So lead and guide us and speak to us, we pray, with clarity this day. Amen. So the question that I've been pondering this week is, what does it mean? What does it mean to be human? Now, it's a question, quite frankly, that has puzzled some of the, the greatest minds and draws a range of responses. Quite honestly, some might say, you know, why does it really matter? Others would respond, you can't say for certain what it means to be human. It has different meaning for different people and for different cultures. Does being human mean something different in Christianity than it does for Muslims or people of the Jewish faith or agnostics for that matter? Are we human because we're often running late? Are we human because we, don't, we often do not practice what we preach? 
Are we human because we sleep and dream? Because we kiss and laugh and tell silly jokes? Are we human because we lie and cheat? Are we human because we take risks? So our goal this morning is to begin to probe that question of what the Bible teaches about what it means to be human. What does it mean to be you? What does it mean to be me? And specifically, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Now, we've already seen that in the first two verses of Genesis, we're brought face to face with the ultimate reality. In the beginning, God. And then last week, we saw how the remainder of the chapter from verse 3 to the very end displays God's sovereignty in creation in the unfolding stories of the six days. However, this morning, I want us to to zone in on day six and ask, what does it mean to be a man, a woman, to be human? What is God's creative purpose for us? And what becomes clear in verses 24 to 31, it is through the creature he names mankind by which God intends to fulfill his purpose of establishing his reign here on earth. He has a special destiny for humanity. Now Genesis, I I don't know whether you know this, but Genesis actually has two creation accounts. So there's chapter 1 through chapter 2 verse 3, and that gives us a sort of bird eyes view of God at work. And then the rest of chapter 2 gives us the second account, a a more sort of on-the-ground, earthy view that fleshes out the detail. And we see this pattern at work in the account of God creating the first humans. So you'll notice up until verse 26 of chapter 1, it's been, let it be, and there it was. We now see a change in cadence, in tempo. See, up until now, God has been speaking orders, but now he engages himself as he comes to create mankind. And chapter 2 gives us more detail. We see there that God leaves the seat of heaven. He comes down onto earth, and as chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God is hands-on. We see actually the same way God makes a woman later in chapter 2. In the same way, he's hands-on. God himself, notes, performs the surgery. And the author, Moses, is making the point that God engages himself in a unique way when it comes to making humanity. Now, everybody here this morning who knows just a, just a little of Christian theology knows how important is the claim that we are made in the image of God. But if we're honest with one another, that phrase often leaves us wondering exactly what it means. It can come up in our head as a blank. In other words, we know the phrase, but we don't have any content for it. So let me ask us, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? First of all, in Genesis 1, um, it's made clear that to be, to be made in the image of God means to be distinct from other creatures. But in the first instinct, instance, it means to be distinct from God. Now, we said at the beginning of this sermon series that the Bible teaches us here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, that God is distinct from creation. Do you remember that? In the beginning, God. Nobody made God. 
He always was and always will be. He is self-existent. Whereas the rest of creation is independent of God. It has a starting point. It was made. See, whether we look at angels or asteroids, hamsters or humans, all of us share a fundamental in common. We're created and made by God. It's the, the, the creator-creature distinction. Humans then are distinct from God. But also in the second instance, we are distinct from other creatures. Now you'll notice that creation of people happens on day six, and that's the same day as the animal kingdom. And it shows us actually that we're more similar to animals than other elements of creation. We share, for example, the same breath of life. But humanity is distinct from the animal creation. Take a look, would you, at verse 24 and 25. And I want you to notice that five times there we are told that the beasts of the earth are made according to their kinds. According to their kinds. See that? But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and verse 27, we're told that humanity was made in our image and according to our likeness. That in his own image and in the image of God, he created them. That's wonderful. See, what is Moses trying to tell us here? He's trying to tell us that humanity is unique. Humanity is invested with a special dignity. Humanity is different from all other creatures. So what then is humanity's distinctiveness? What makes us special? And it lies, I want to suggest to you this morning, it lies in the way we are animated, the way that we are made. Uh, John Murray, he's a a well-known theologian. He's now passed away, but he, he said this. It comes down to this. Adam is formed face to face. You see, in a sense... God is giving birth to man. He is begetting him in the way that he makes Adam, in the way that Adam comes from God. Now, you don't need to turn to it, but you can look at it this afternoon. But in Luke chapter 3, verse 38, what we get in Luke chapter 3 is the genealogy of Jesus, and it's traced all the way back to Adam. And we read in verse 38 of chapter 38, we read that Adam is the Son of God. See, Adam is God's Son, and by association, all of humanity, all of us, are children of God. So as we we set out this morning to explore this question of who we are, what it is to be human, we need to note immediately that in the grand scheme of things, that you are a son, a, a daughter of God by reason of your human ancestry. In Psalm 139, David writes, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You see, the same purposeful thought and careful construction that happened with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 has happened with you also. See, God knit you together. He created your inmost being, your body, 
Your personality, your character, your strengths, your gifts have all been created by him. But if, I, if we're honest with one another, you know, I guess, and I don't know all of us very well, all of you very well, but I guess there are, there are many of us in this room this morning that find many reasons to be down on ourselves. Maybe even to, to look in the mirror and not like what we see. And that's not because of what sin and shame brings, that's different. But because we don't like the, the way we look. We don't feel as, as attractive as others, as good as others at making relationships, as successful as others. You see, we keep looking at other people and we find ourselves feeling inadequate. We feel, quite honestly, disappointed with who we are. We might not have even told our, our best friend, our spouse, that. The truth is, we wish we were different. Wish we had other people's gifts, other people's strengths. The end of Genesis chapter 2, remember Adam and Eve, they're naked and they felt no shame. There was no need to cover up and hide from each other. They felt no sense of inadequacy, no need to pretend because they were at peace, they were at ease with themselves. What happened when sin came into this world, they began covering up. See, that's what some of us are doing all the time, projecting a, a false image of ourselves, a cardboard cutout of, of ourselves, an avatar, rather than the real us. Maybe for some of us, we even do this on our online social media presence. Probably for the vast majority of us, of us we've absolutely no idea what that means. <laughs> but we still do it in our relationships. We know that. We live frantically running our own PR campaign to try and persuade people that we are somebody worth knowing. And I want to say to you this morning what Francis Schaeffer reminds us. You know that in God's eyes, and this is what he said, there are no little people in God's eyes. You're not little this morning. You're not unimportant. You're not insignificant and you're not invisible. See, God deliberately and purposefully made you. He values the real you, the person he made you. So we see then that humanity was made distinct from God and other creatures. What you notice second, to be made in the image of God means to resemble God. Now, when it comes to animals, we've already seen that they were made according to their kinds, which gives, in my mind at least, the sort of idea of a map, a, a blueprint, a, a design. It's as if God draws up the idea of a gecko or, or, or a gorilla. You know, he does some, some sketches and he plans that the gecko will be small and quick and, and the gorilla will be large and powerful, and he executes both according to that pattern. But when it comes to, to, to mankind, uh, the blueprint is very special. It's, it's, it's almost like the, it's the pattern itself, is, is, is because it's so special, it's, it's of God. And I was thinking about this morning, it's almost as if God you know, takes his phone and takes a selfie. And then he sort, of, he sort of takes that as the image and uses that photo as the design. It's quite incredible. Of course, it is true that all of creation reveals and reflects God. 
everything around that's been created points to the Creator. And so Romans chapter 1 says that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what he has made. I was trying to think of an analogy uh, yesterday morning, and I think it's a little bit like like then you know and recognize someone's music. So I want you to imagine for a minute, you, you get into the car and you switch on the radio, and it's a new song. And it's a new song by Ed Sheeran. Remember him? And you've heard Ed Sheeran's songs many times before. And quite frankly, you don't need the presenter to tell you it's Ed Sheeran. You know his voice and you know his music. Now, if, they, if you then sort of switch over on the radio and you move to Classic FM, the music changes. And it's obvious it's changed. Instead of Ed Sheeran, it's now Edward Elgar. You can tell the difference. And so what God creates, God's music, reflects him. And whilst everything God makes reflects him, people are especially in his image. We genuinely resemble him. We're like God, even though we're not God. Now let me just mention three ways we are like God. We're rational. It's apparent from Genesis chapter 1 that that God has intelligence, he has a will, he's able to form plans and he executes them, he's rational. And mankind too is endowed with rationality, with knowledge, with understanding, and and that is seen, isn't it, in the way that Adam names animals later. We are personal. Isn't it interesting that that Genesis 1 chapter 26, God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. I find that really interesting phraseology. It goes on there in verse 27 to say, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Now, it seems then that that God's creating of mankind as male and female is reflective of the fact that God is personal. As God, the, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they have eternally been in personal fellowship. They love company. So also humanity is created as as a personal being, male and female. We are complementary. We need one another. And so the very differentiation of the sexes, maleness and femaleness, reflects the personal nature of God. It's rooted in the Trinity. So we're rational, we're personal, just like God. We also learn in this passage that God, as God is moral, we are moral. In verse 31, God pronounces everything that he has made to be very good. It's obvious here that he's he's clearly acting in righteousness in all that he does. And mankind too is is endowed with righteousness and holiness. They're, They're given things to do, remember, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And things not to do. Their heart is to to be given over to God. They're they're to be holy and and have a life and live a life honoring to their creator. Now, it's worth saying, uh, just for the sake of absolute certainty, that that while we're similar to God, we're obviously very different. I don't think there's anyone here this morning who's omnipresent. I'm sure we'd love to be. No one's omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing omnipotent, all-powerful. 
You know, we, we simply don't have those attributes, but we do have certain attributes of likeness to God. We have, for example, speech. We think. We design. We enjoy relationships, all very similar to him. Of course, you might pause me and say, well, look, some of the rest of creation can do this. And yes, that's true to a degree, but we do it with incredible ingenuity. So a beaver, it cuts down a, a load of logs and it, and it builds a dam. Mankind, and this is centuries ago, constructs Tower Bridge to go across the River Thames. Now, we build and send satellites that orbit Saturn for years and send back pictures. Now, we have a, a device in our pockets that not only allows us to take photos, but enables us to see and hear people from anywhere on the planet. You see, there's no ordinary people. That's how C.S. Lewis puts it. You never meet someone ordinary. There are just astonishing people. So what is it to be human? It is, what is it to be the image of God? Well, it is to be distinct from God and from other creatures. It is to resemble God. But it's also, thirdly, to represent God. Not only resemble him, but also to represent him. He delegates authority and, 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 and for us to, to rule over, over this creation. So verse 26, let me read that to us. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish, the birds, and the animals. See, God sets mankind apart as his divinely authorized vice regent, if you like, to rule over what God has made. He sets up in the garden a, a theocracy in which we rule in his name. And the, flesh, the task is fleshed out there in more detail in verse 27 to 30. So how do we represent God? Well, I want to suggest this morning in two ways. First, we represent God as we fill the earth with images of God. Verse 27 there, mankind is, is one race, but mankind has two genders, male and female. And we could have been created as a single Gender. We could have been created with multi-genders, but God created a man and a woman. And we see why there, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth. You see, it was God's plan to fill the earth with images of himself. Now, I don't know if you know very much about the sort of ancient Near Eastern kings, and actually uh, more uh, contemporary Kings have done a similar thing, but often what they would do is they would, they would set up a statue. A king would set up a statue. You can think of the, some of the Roman emperors. They'd set up a statue of themselves in a different realm, a picture of themselves, a sort of a way of saying, you know, I am, I'm in charge of this place. Remember me. I'm an image, an image of themselves. And in the same way, it was God's plan to, to, to spread the, the world with images of himself, a sort of a statement of this is my world through his image bearers. You see, today we are called to carry on what God started doing back there in the garden. Now, it doesn't mean that we all need to marry and have children, but we are all called to reflect the image of God. In the space where God has placed us to live and work, we are to image his kindness and his goodness, his gentleness, his morality, 
And to do this, we, we need the support of healthy Christian relationships. We need friends. We need, to be honest with you, church to be the safest place in the world. We need each other in all our diversity. Second, we represent God as we rule over the earth under God's authority. See, as God has actively exercised authority and control over the creation, now mankind does the same. And verse 28 is known as the cultural mandate. It's the mandate to develop and rule over the world. See, humanity wasn't intended to, to live forever in the simplicity of the garden. There was to be progression. The Bible begins in the garden but ends with a city in the book of Revelation. See, humanity was to bring out of the creation the potential God had already placed in it. To fill and form it. So, for example, to, to mine those precious stones that get mentioned later in Genesis chapter 2. And one writer describes the cultural mandate as having both dominion over and care for creation. It's good for us to keep harnessing creation's potential, to keep exploring, developing. Cultural diversity is good. Artistic expression is good. Music, sport, technological advances. Now, that's all taking dominion. All ways in which we keep thinking God's thoughts after him. Bringing out of creation the potential God baked in. And representing him as we do those things according to his standards. With a concern for his honor to bring him glory. But there's also a care element to consider. There's responsible nurturing for this planet. So yes, we're, we're free to, to maximize the earth's potential, to use it well, but we're not free to engage in exploitation. And actually, that's something that we're going to look at more closely together later in this term, in a seminar. So God has, has set up mankind to be the, the custodian and developer of the creation, and God provides everything needed for this to happen well. So there, you'll notice verse 28, God blessed mankind for the task. And then verse 29 to 30, the plants are given for food. Humans are, are carrying out God's task with, with God's gift of food and under his words of blessing and enabling. They've got everything they need. And we'll come back again and again to these verses as we work through these chapters because these verses that we're looking at this morning, they set in place fundamental and timeless principles. Fundamental and timeless principles which are currently even being challenged by our own culture and even our own church, the Church of England. But they, you see, these principles get right to the root of what it is to be human and are calling ultimately to be part of establishing God's kingdom here on earth as his vice-regents, as his children, as his royal children, actually. Well, having created people with dignity, the chapter ends, verse 31, with all the pieces in place. And we see there, and it's a lovely moment, isn't it, when God says, and it was very good. And we pause and we say, Amen. But in just two chapters' time, it will not be very good. 
The call to fill and to form the earth will have been transformed into a difficult task. There will be pain in childbirth, pain in filling the earth. There will be painful toil to bring the earth into submission. Instead of respect and value for one another, Adam and Eve will have turned on one another. And instead of, of accepting who they already were, they will have grasped to try and be like God. And ironically, they will have become less, not more, like him as a result. And that's the world we live in now. We're still in God's image, still love, still part of God's generous world, but it's broken. And worse still than that, we're broken. The fault line runs right through this creation and right through you and me. See, the biggest issue in this room is not what the world is like, what society is like, but what I'm like. The image of God is there, but we're like a, a ruined castle. The former glory can be seen, but we're not who we could be. But let me say this to you this morning. God has not abandoned mankind. He wants the image restored, and so he sent his son, his son, Jesus Christ, who was the supreme image of God, who not only resembles and represents, but also reveals God, but also is God. And his son came to take the broken, spoiled image, to come in the likeness of sinful flesh, and to take on our sinful distortions on himself, so that we might be made new, so that we might be renewed in knowledge, in the image of our creator, Colossians chapter 3. You see, friends, our God is putting it all back together. You see, he's still about filling and forming It's still about filling the world with those who display his image, who are made disciples from every nation. It's still about forming the world under his rule as those disciples are taught to delight in everything Christ commanded. So as I finish, let me ask you one final question. What is it to be human? What is it to be made in the image of God? What is our purpose in life? I'm sure you know these words. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Enjoy Him forever. It's quite important. I think that's important for us as a congregation. Yes, we want to worship him and glorify him. But often some people put it, we glorify him by enjoying him. So as we gather, we are sinners. We are sinners saved by grace. Yes, we know, don't we? We know what we bring to the table. And it may surprise us that we are loved through and through, but we are. And in response, we can worship and glorify his name, but also enjoy him, enjoy his creation. And by doing so, we will reflect his image and we will praise his name even more. Amen. Join me as we pray together.
Father, we're mindful this morning that some of us do think little of ourselves and we moan and we groan. And yet, Father, we thank you that because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are made new in you. We thank you that you have made us for who we are, that you do indeed know us by name. We pray, Lord, that we would not seek to hide, but we would be true to who we are. Recognize that we are loved, that there is nobody who is invisible in the kingdom of God. So your good hand upon each one of us, we ask. Amen.